This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. You know, what we are looking at now is so unprecedented that we have to look to other centuries, analogs in other centuries, to begin to try to understand what we've been through as a country and what we're hoping uh, to uh, transcend going forward. You know, I think that in the last few years and months in particular, you know, so many people have been saying things like, this is not our country, or I don't recognize my country, or this is not what America stands for. And so I think that what that says is that we really have not known our country's true history. Not enough of us know our country's true history. And we're, on the, uh, we're in this karmic moment of reckoning in which we're at this precipice, and we've come to realize how very fragile democracy is and that it truly will take everything and everyone in order to protect and to secure it. Chickens coming home to roost. Our common ground with Janice Graham. Our common ground. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our common ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to Our Common Ground, the Black Truth Sanctuary here at Blog Talk Radio. So glad to have you with us. Uh, For those of you who are listening on your smart device and would like to join our chatters in our chat room, you can come to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. Register and get right in. There are seats still available. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we're, we're glad to have you all with us. Uh, it is the OCG Open Mic Night, and we are focusing on a broken democracy. We are in trouble, folks, in this country. And I'm not sure if people are exactly understanding what is happening here. We are, this month, about nine months, Uh, from the U.S. Capitol building experiencing an unprecedented 
siege, not even in an open war. And it was spurred by an outgoing president's anti-democratic attempts to cling to power. And what I'm asking you to consider tonight is to assume that Donald Trump could be, by hook or crook, as I've indicated in previous episodes of Our Common Ground, be reelected legitimately or by manipulation. So we should assume that his naive and incompetent approach to the wielding of power in his first term would not be repeated. He must now understand that he will need devoted loyalists, of whom there will be plenty, to run the departments responsible for justice, homeland security, Internal revenue, espionage, and defense, and he will surely put officers personally loyal to him in charge of the armed forces. Not least, he will get his loyal Republican Party, as it will be, to confirm the people he chooses if he holds the needed Senate majority, as is likely to be the case. Now, this is in the assumption that Donald Trump gets re-elected in 2024. Equally sure we can be is that he will use the pressure that he can then exert on the wealthy and influential to bring them into line. Crony capitalism Keep in mind that word. Y'all hold on to that word because we're going to be coming back to it. Crony capitalism is among the probabilities. All you have to do is ask the Hungarians who live in an illiberal democracy under a man admired by U.S. right-wing folks. Americans and all but a handful of politicians have refused to take this possibility seriously. And I am proposing, suggesting to this audience that black people, black people cannot make that mistake. Suppose Trump comes back to power in 2024, determined to exact vengeance on his foes, backed by a Congress and the Supreme Court. Trump is old. His passing might be the end of the authoritarian moment, but neither the electoral system nor the Republican Party will go back to what it was. The latter is now a radical party with a reactionary agenda. The U.S. is the 
sole democratic superpower on the earth. Its ongoing political transformation has some deep implications for liberal democracies everywhere, as well as for the world's ability to cooperate on vital tasks, such as, let's just look at managing climate risk. In 2016, we ignored these dangers in looking at candidate Trump. Today, we cannot afford to be so blind to our peril. So we're going to get in it uh, this this. Um, episode of Our Common Ground, you know how open mic goes. We don't just get to talk about anything you uh, figured out while you were taking a bathroom break or going to get uh, a cup of joe. We try to focus so that when you, um, when we go away, you're thinking about some things that are going to be useful. So tonight we've brought some voices with us. Uh, We're going to be featuring the voices of voter rights activist Latasha Brown, author Isabel Wilkerson, who you heard in our opening, and political analyst Brianna Joy Gray. And, of course, your voice is important to us, and we want to hear from you. And our number is 347-838-9852. And before we get into the meat of this broadcast, I do want to mention to our uh, extend our, our, our condolences to Secretary of State, General Colin Powell. As many of you know, um, he died of complications of COVID-19 caused by other serious um, physical um, medical conditions. And um, for my lifetime, Colin Powell has been a household word. Um, So we could not uh, do this broadcast, no matter how we felt about his political ideology. Uh, I think many of us understood that he was a military man. He was all for the military, and his focus has always been on the defense, the military defense of this country at all costs. But he has uh, been part of the family for a very long time, and we extend our condolences to his family. The other thing that we've got a lot of material to get through uh, today, some 
some red flags, some some deep concerns. But as we come into this broadcast and we throw this on the table for discussion, uh, if you choose to call, is that we do not have yet since January 20th, 2021, we still do not have a voting rights bill that has been passed by the Congress. We still do not have a police reform bill, the George Floyd police reform bill, passed by the Congress. We still do not have the rescue and infrastructure bills passed by the Congress that was promised by the Biden-Harris administration to address so many of the issues that Americans face. We still don't have it. So um, that's one of the things um, that I think we we really need to think about, and you know, without all the political gossiping about Joe Manchin and Cinema, I mean, they are two people who call themselves Democrats so, so that they can be elected, and then they they legislate as Republicans because it's profitable to them. That's just the bottom line. Um, so we won't do a lot of gossiping about about that. But I will remind you, we don't have all of that, but we got Juneteenth. <laughs> you know I couldn't pass an opportunity. You know I couldn't pass an opportunity uh, to uh, bypass the, the sarcasm. So uh, hopefully we'll have more than Juneteenth by next next June 19th, okay. Um, the January 6th committee has not subpoenaed the former president, Rudy Giuliani, Bill Barr, or the Trump seeds. We haven't gotten that yet either. And they don't talk about that. They talk about six people who they have subpoenaed, as far as we know. Um, I don't know if many of you know that in my professional life, you know, this for 35 years, um, this has been my life's work. That other stuff that I got trained to do and that I did was to pay the bills. And in the part of my career of paying the bills, I became an FBI-trained investigator. As a matter of fact, there are three levels of investigation training that the FBI offers to uh, FBI agents and personnel, certain personnel of the Department of Justice. And I have completed all three 
you know, the basic, which was not much because I had already been doing investigations, but um, it's it's some intensive work. When I did the advance, I was in Washington, D.C. for three weeks, classes eight hours a day. So I, I'm a well-trained investigator, and sometimes I look at some of these federal investigations at Homeland Security, the Office of um, uh, the General Inspector, and you often wonder whether or not they are doing a thorough job in investigating some of the issues that the Congress asked them to investigate. Um, the Office of the, of, of the um, Inspector, um, those are trained investigators. But if you're investigating the wrong thing or in the wrong direction, you're not going to get very much. And I think that this January 6th committee is soft-peddling where they're going. You know, so... So here's my thing for you tonight. I'm giving out stuff. There are three basics of investigation. So when you hear reports, when you read investigative reports, and government investigation reports are very thorough, but I go back to the point that I wanted to make. If you're investigating at the wrong direction, if you're investigating on the wrong dimension, if you're investigating the wrong people, the investigation is not much, worth much and the resulting conclusions won't have much impact. But there are three basics to investigation and you should have an ear uh, when you read reports or hear people talking about your government talking about investigation. I call it the ABC system. I I I, I developed this this uh, basic uh, after I've probably had six weeks of investigation training, so I kind of developed a thing that in my professional work and guiding my own investigators and the people who did investigations in my office. I would always offer a summary. It's the ABC system uh, developed and designed by me. And that is A, accept nothing. People come and say, oh, you know, you ought to be looking at this. You ought to be accept nothing. That's A. B, Believe no one. I mean, these are some hardcore um, directives that every investigator ought to have in the back of their head. This is the, I would call it the culture of investigation. B, believe no one. And C, challenge everything. Challenge everything. I don't know how many of you were following the news today, but uh, the former president, President Barack Obama, was in Virginia 
and he was uh, uh, campaigning for the Democratic Party uh, candidate for governor of Virginia. He looked good. Um, He looked like life is good. Um, And um, I'm hoping that the Democrats are able to hold um, the Commonwealth of Virginia. The other is that there has been a U.S. House of Representative criminal referral for Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon was a special counsel. Special? No, you can't call. You can't call a non-lawyer a counsel in the federal government. He was a special advisor in the White House in the first. Uh, I think it was about probably about six months of the Trump administration. And then he and Donald Trump got into a beef about what something I don't understand, um, and he left. They said he was fired. He says he left. So what the heck? But uh, there's been a House criminal referral, and that means because he violated the laws which govern a response to a civil subpoena issued by Congress. And um, so the House voted to um, refer him to the criminal division of the Department of Justice, and we'll see what happens. But on that note, let me, let me and we can throw this on the pile, for open night, Mike. Let me let me make some uh, comments about why Steve Bannon. And I'm going to say this, and you you might want to call us at three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two. I'm going to say this. Steve Bannon, on this very day. Not because of the subpoena, not because of the criminal referral. Steve Bannon is the most dangerous man in America. And that he is smart, that he, that he is uh, strategically sharp, that he is outstand- awesome in media and digital communications ought to make you very scared. Many people believe that when Trump and and Bannon were having their beef, that Bannon went away and he was doing his own thing. It's my belief that Steve Bannon went away and and on behalf of Donald Trump two years ago began to plan, organize state legislatures and campaigns, organize GOP governors 
and GOP movers and shakers and train them in the form of propaganda, place them in the operative machine to overthrow the American government. And I want you to remember that I said this. It's October 23rd, 2021. It was Steve Bannon at the helm who put into place the, the Southern border strategy, that put into place the voter suppression strategy, in the in the red states that organized the Republican governors and uh, Republican elected federally uh, 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 congressional elected officials to begin to carry out the plan and the big lie, the big steal, the insurrection was just the beginning. So even if they are able to put Steve Bannon in jail, which will make him a martyr, and that's another scary kind of thought, he still will be the most dangerous man in America. On top of, here, here is... Here's the part that I think that the Democrats don't understand, that this January 6th committee doesn't understand, that the Democrats have never understood about people in the Trump administration like Steve Bannon. They believe what they are doing. They believe in what they are doing. They believe in strict ideology that flares out of white nationalism. These people are not playing. And Steve Bannon doesn't really give a hitch what what Joe Biden thinks. He doesn't give a hitch. They will, this is a criminal, corrupt operation going on. And it is being funded liberally by, what did I tell you all the word was? I told you to hold on to the word. And I bet most of you all forgot what the word was. What did I tell you the word was? I bet you all forgot already. I bet you all forgot. And I told you at the beginning, I told you to please remember this word. Okay. Think back on it. I'm giving you a few minutes to think back on it before I let you know what it is. 
Y'all got it? Okay, since you didn't, since you really didn't remember it, I'm I'm starting to think that you might not ever remember it. So I'm going to give you another word that you will probably remember. Crony capitalism. Crony capitalism. And there are black people, black people who are barely making their car notes, barely making the car notes, barely making the rent payments, barely making the the worrying about the mortgage payment. And they call themselves neoliberals. Okay, good, good for you. So that's where we are on Steve Bannon, but keep that in mind as we go through the program uh, tonight. Uh, Lev Parnas, remember him? I even follow him on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know how I got to start following him on Twitter. But Lev Parnas was found guilty on passing Russian money around to Republican candidates. This man is facing maybe... 20 years and deportation? Whoa. So after after he serves 20 years. And that might have been part of, remember the Russian oligarch and they raided his house on Thursday? And I think some things happened in the Lev Parnas Foreman uh, trial on on uh on Thursday that triggered some of that um FBI raid on Polar I can't think of the man's name, so don't even ask me. Y'all don't call up here asking me what the Russian man's name, the oligarch. The 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 oligarch who bought Donald Trump's mansion in Palm Beach Florida, that was valued at $4 million, but he bought it for $9 million. So uh, this, is, this is where we are, and I think some things are going to come out of that. And also want to make a note that this week was the 10th anniversary of the King Monument, which it was really, really interesting. So I want you to hold on seats because we're going to talk about there is every indication that we are now living in a country that was once uh, considered itself, touted itself as a democratic republic all of that of how we we are operating is in question. So our number is 347-838-9852. 347-838-9852. And I see, just want to chat. 
in the chat room, and right after this clip, you didn't get a chance to give us a call, and you complained about it last week, so we'll certainly be looking for you. Don't forget when you call that number and you want to chat instead, you want to talk instead of listen, you must press the number one. Uh, I, I picked out some featured voices for for this broadcast tonight, and one of them is uh, Latasha Brown, who is a voter rights activist. Um, we should all be concerned that it does not seem that the Democrats can pull it together so that they, so that the filibuster can be broken so that we can get a restoration of the Voting Rights Act of 1968 and some fixes to the manipulation that is going on in many, many, in 48 states around voter suppression. So we'll take your calls at 347-838-9852 right after this. Today, we have a certain stand in our agency, and so part of what we're doing is this is an organizing opportunity for us to literally get black people to think about. We have to think about our power. We have to think about our agency. We have to think about governance. If we're going to build something different, we got to think about governance, because what I can tell you is when people are not thinking about that, you'll create the same thing mm-hmm. that right. was already created. Right. So we have, to, we have to use this as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so the work that we're doing around voter suppression is twofold. One, it is, yes, we got to stop the bleeding now. We're actually out in these streets. That's why we are fighting for this federal legislation, mm-hmm. so that what we're seeing is voter suppression that is happening when people are hearing about the for the uh, um, the people John Act. Lewis for the People Act and the John mm-hmm. Lewis Voter Advancement Act, mm-hmm. we need that to actually stop the pain that's happening now. Right. But beyond that, we also need. You know, I always ask people this question: What would this nation look like without racism? Mm-hmm. Just sit in that for a minute, mm-hmm. right? And the reason why it's important to ask this question, because if we ain't asking that question, what are we doing? Because we'll never create that if we mm. can't even envision that. Mm. There's nothing that has been brought into the physical world that folks didn't first envision. Mm. And so I'm saying that because part of the work that we're doing is not just responding to what it is now. It is helping people to radically reimagine every single system in this country. If that means shifting the whole way we see the criminal justice system, because we know what it's rooted in. Mm-hmm. That means shifting education. If that means shifting the voting process. But part of being able to do that is people have to really understand what that process is, why it does not meet the needs we have, and what it is that we want to replace it with. And, and, and if I could add on, you know, I agree with everything Latasha said, you know, but in, in regards to that, that fight against the voter suppression piece, we got to be able, we got to be willing to use the power that we have, right, and to use different tactics. Like, we got to believe what Malcolm said when he says by any means necessary. So, so one of the things we did in Georgia was we started this whole corporate accountability campaign. Where we said, look, corporations, we we did we had research that said, oh, Delta is giving X amount to the very people that are pushing these bills, right? Um, 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 Coca-Cola is giving uh, thousands of dollars to the very people that are pushing these bills. So we said we got to call them out, right? And we got to hold them accountable, right? We got to tell you, you can't have it. You can't be uh, asking us to be your employees and be your your consumers and living off of us and, and dependent on us while you're funding our suppression, mm-hmm. right? And so we did a whole corporate accountability campaign to fight back against that Georgia bill, to fight back against the Florida bill, to fight back against the Texas bill. In Texas, it worked, 
right? All of it worked because at the end of the day, that's what movement is, right? Mm-hmm. We started in Georgia, couldn't stop the bill in Georgia, but it created momentum that then let us stop the bill in, in, in Texas. What do you say to people who say that, you know, voting doesn't matter or people who say, I don't like any of the candidates, so I'm not mm-hmm. voting? You know, at the end, that's, that's, that's a, <laughs> we say well, you're right. <laughs> I mean, the truth of the matter is, you have to understand this ain't about this ain't a popularity contest. This, we ain't ta- we ain't talking about no talent show. That's right. We're talking right. about at the end of the day, somebody, if anybody has done any social justice work, I can tell you the difference when I go into a courtroom that if a DA matters, absolutely. If one DA in, is in office opposed to another DA, that can make a difference between whether our people get time in jail or twenty years to life. Mm-hmm. Having a judge in jail. I mean, a judge in place that is least more accountable to community makes a difference for us. So we have to really see this as a harm reduction strategy. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I don't know about anybody else, but anybody that's making a decision about me and my family, I need to be a part of that process. Mm-hmm. So this isn't about who you like or who you don't like. It's really around how am I going to reduce the harm happening to my community at the very least, and how am I hold folks accountable? If you come at us, we coming, we coming for you. Right. right? There has to be consequences when people are doing things that are harmful in our communities. So when those DAs or those judges use an opportunity to exploit us, we got to go and make sure we move them out to give a consequence. And the same thing is also we have to put people in position. Cory Bush being in position, mm-hmm. this right. sister being in position, being voted by young folk, right. right, young black voters, as a result, the entire process around housing eviction, her actions matter. Right. So mm-hmm. for us to not acknowledge, right. right, you don't have an analysis of power mm-hmm. if you say it doesn't matter. Right. You know, it's the same thing around how many of us get a, you don't like your boss, you ain't going to go get your check. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. It, at the end of the mm-hmm. day, it's really around how you're going to use the tools to actually advance your community. And voting is one of those. Every single aspect of our lives is impacted by voting. Find me something that isn't. Right? You right. can't even die and your people get the insurance money without having a death certificate. Somebody creates that policy. Mm-hmm. So as long as we're in this formation, right, where this public policy impacts every aspect of our lives, if you are a person like me that believes in self-determination, I've got to be a part of the process, right? Because I'm not going to let you make a decision about me and mine, and I'm not a part of that process. Somebody was like, okay, we're going to keep on. Right. Somebody had to keep on. We have to be relentless. Mm-hmm. you got to be relentless about your liberation, mm-hmm. and you have to really recognize when there's a space. I always say that when there's a crack in the space, you've got to get up in there. And so at the end of the day, yes. We're seeing this piece around voter suppression. We're seeing it raise its head, but not because we lost. It's because black folk, young black people, black folk who had voted for the first time, people of color, there's a new coalition of folk. Last year, last summer, let's be reminded, that was the largest uprising ever in the history of this country that came out in the streets after George Floyd. Mm -hmm. There's change happening, but those who have been in power, are actually pushing against that change, and they want us to feel like, oh, we can't do nothing. They want us to feel oppressed. They want us to be like, oh, we're gonna be able to beat them. Let me, mm-hmm. let me say this real quick because I, I agree with everything Latasha said. That's that's the way. That's why we do this work. That's why we right. Mm-hmm. But there's a piece to what you asked that I think is really important that I don't want to miss. Right? Cause mm-hmm. you, you said, do you ever feel like, you know, let's say, you're finally losing battle? Mm-hmm. And the, the 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 honest answer to that question is yes. Right? There are moments. Where we might feel that, right? Like I, I, you turn on the news and you and you hear the first thing, oh, Joe Manson wrote an op-ed, talk about you know we ain't gonna vote for yada yada, yada. and so we might have a moment where we feel that, but then we 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 come back to everything that Latasha just said, right? And the reason I want to raise that is because it's important for folks to know 
that it's okay to have that that moment of doubt. It's okay to have that moment of frustration, right? The, continuing on in resiliency isn't about we never we never feel that moment, right? right. That there ain't nothing courageous about that. It's just like 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 courage isn't not having fear. Courage is when you act in spite of the fear that you felt for that moment, right? And so, do we have a moment where we might feel that? Yeah, you know, just <clears> like when we when we when we talk to voters and they say. What you said, Angela, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. People mm-hmm. let me down. I, I'm not going to tell them I ain't never had no politician that let me down, right? But then we got to get to a deeper conversation. We got to fight through that. And it's, it's important to raise that because sometimes what happens when, when people feel that frustration mm-hmm. or that doubt, then they think that they're lacking, right? They think that there's something wrong with them, and it keeps us from moving forward. But when they know that having that doubt or having that fear or having that whatever, that's a part of the process, but we work through it. We work through it. We work together, right? We, we, we lean on our faith. We lean on our, our history of, of how far we come. We lean on the actual results that we've seen. We lean on seeing a Cory Bush and those that, that actually get it right. Mm-hmm. When we can fight through that moment of doubt and hesitancy or fear or whatever it is, that's when the, that's where the sweet spot is. That's where the magic is. It is very disheartening, though, when, you know, they, 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 they ask us to mobilize for the White House. They ask us to mobilize for the Senate. But then when it comes to doing something like getting rid of the filibuster, mm-hmm. so they will actually have power in the deciding vote within right. with right. Vice President Harris, and they could actually get things done. And to see GOP legislators applauding Joe mm. Manchin and Kristen Sinema mm. for, for, for not doing that, because without it, they would be dead meat. Their mm-hmm. words, not That's ours. Right. It's like, come on. They look like two wings on the same bird to me. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, I- I mean, at the end of the day, I, it, it, we are dealing with a system that we talk about two parties. Mm-hmm. Both of them came out of the context of it's, it is a one-party system in many ways. Mm-hmm. There's two different frameworks, right? There's the Democrats, but we have to be able to make – there is a distinction. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no question. There is a distinction. Very hard to tell right it, now. It, it's hard to tell, <laughs> right? Hard to tell. Because, what we're, because what we're dealing with in the midst of this is that black folk have always been a negotiating tool within this political system. Mm-hmm. We just got to acknowledge that, right? It doesn't take away that there are distinctions in the political parties. What it takes, what it deals with is how racism is so, like, is, is, is so perpetrated throughout every single system. I actually have the audacity to believe that, the, that when black folk literally operate in space of our power, that we're going to be able to transform everything around us, mm-hmm. right? So I don't think that black liberation is contingent upon white acceptance. That's not what I believe. Mm-hmm. What I believe is if black folks got to believe that there's something different, we have to start creating something different. We actually working with a group down in, um, in Tennessee, mm-hmm. in Chattanooga, in Tennessee, mm-hmm. that literally are uh, a, a multicultural, multi uh, racial coalition that is actually working to take over the city council mm-hmm. so that they can actually change That's the entire right. charter so that they can make it more democratic. Mm-hmm. We've got to start thinking in those kinds of ways. There are people who are actually founding, I don't know if folks know this, but nine years after slavery, there were 90 cities that were founded by enslaved Africans. Can you imagine that? Mm-hmm. Are we founding 90, are we creating 90 cities now? Mm-hmm. Our people are amazing. The fact mm-hmm. that we're still existing, the f- fact that we are thriving in spite of all of the racism. Mm-hmm. So I'm raising that. I think it's important for us to recognize, I don't care what system they create. Like, that was a system of slavery for 200 years that folks said, we ain't going to never get out of. We mm-hmm. But there was somebody that said that we could. My point is, I think it's important for us to organize, mm-hmm. not because we're telling people to believe, because for us, we're not telling people to believe in the system. Mm-hmm. We're telling people to believe in themselves and mm-hmm. their own power. And out of that, 
literally us having this conversation around governance. Mm-hmm. Like if we talk about nation building, people need to know how governance works mm-hmm. and then how what we need to create. Mm-hmm. How do we create new systems to replace these systems that have been rooted in racism that we've got to call out, but we also have to think about what is that going to look different because if not, we're going to create the same thing. And mm-hmm. you're talking to a couple of people, you know, we we part of a group that we actually created a third party in Alabama, in, in Dallas County, Alabama, right? Because we we got tired of the way, at least at the at the state level, that the party was taking advantage of black folks in, the, in throughout the black belt of Alabama. So we created a third party. There are there are times and moments where we need to do some options like that. That's and literally when we did it, we were building off the same laws that were in place when, when Kwame Torres, Stokely Carmichael, don't name party. and uh, the Freedom Party, <laughs> right? And in fact, in fact, the the, the, the logo, that's right, the, the logo the for the Freedom Party uh, uh, was a was a image of the original Statue of Liberty in the form of a black woman, right? Wow. Because just like back in the day in the, in, in um, um, 64, 66, when when they did the Lowndes County organization, what they said is, look, our folks may not know the difference between you know a rooster that was the symbol of the Democratic Party, the the, the rooster and, and a donkey or whatever, but they know what a black Black Panther looked like. And so they chose something as their logo that would embody what they were standing for. We did the same thing with the Freedom Party. So we had a black woman. This is before... And she looked like a black woman. Oh, she yeah, was yeah. a sister. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, this, was, this was before a lot of the talk over the past That's four right. or five years about you know black girl magic and trust black women. This was 2006 wow. that, we, that we did this, right? So, so, so we, we're not opposed to having a discussion around changing systems and, and changing party structures and, and having independent bodies and all that, you know, we just got to be able to use it, like Latasha said, strategically. Sometimes it's a geographic thing, right, where we need to do it in particular particular states or something like that, and then you can, you can build it up. But we're not opposed to – we know that there's issues with this whole democratic thing. We know that there's issues with a, with a two-party system. And the truth is – I'll say this real quick – the truth, truth is that there are some aspects of, like, some of this election reform discussion that ain't the sexy part, right? It's not the, the voters' pressure and the early vote and the national – but there are things around campaign finance reform. Right. There are issues of ballot access. It's hard for a third party to even get on the ballot mm-hmm. in most of these states, right. right? So there are issues like that that aren't sexy issues, but they are issues – there's issue of proportional representation that Lonnie Guinier tried to have when she was nominated by, by Clinton back in the 90s, but, but he pulled that, so we couldn't even have that discussion. There are some issues about the very structure of this democracy that ain't sexy stuff to talk about, mm-hmm. but if we're really talking about changing the nature of this, of having a, a radical reimagining, those are the kinds of things that we really got to be talking you about. You know, in New York, we recently had to deal with ranked choice voting, mm. and that was confusing Ooh, for a lot of people, and then there was a lot of issues <laughs> over who was going to be the Democratic nominee. What do you guys think about ranked choice man, voting? Is that, it that a good thing, bad thing? Man, it almost made me lose my support <laughs> for ranked choice voting. I was wow. like, I like ranked I choice voting, but this it right It was here. so confusing, yeah. let me tell you. What, I, I think they overthought it. Like, I don't understand why you just can't have one one rank because i actually believe in the in the in the framing of it like literally having people to have three choices well, but, I well, actually break, think, break it down but, what it means because i was confused i mean me and Charlamagne live in New Jersey now. I'm from New York, but I, I had to, to go vote, it. and I was like, but let me do confused. all my research. I go and I do a like fake ballot online ahead of time, so when I go, it's nice and quick. I know who's on the every you know ballot, so I can go and be in and out. But I was confused. And now back to Janice. Well, one of the themes, you know, um, I really enjoyed listening to that exchange on the Breakfast Club uh, with Latasha Brown and Cliff Moore. And one of the themes that we're constantly running into on this program is the idea that we 
have to begin to do systems analysis and systems development. We have to not buy into, as we move forward, the whole notion of we got to do it the way that it's set up to do. We've got to do something different. Um, and I gave a lot of thought to this whole idea of independent uh, black uh, political movements. And Latasha and Cliff really helped me bring it uh, into a better perspective, into a more successful uh, thought process, and that is that we can do that in places where it can work. And in some places it won't work. The other thing that I liked about that conversation is the idea that we are not asking people to believe in a system that has not worked for black people. What we're doing is asking people to understand what that system is in order to avoid avoid the impediments and the pitfalls that it presents in building new systems. Uh, if you recall, week before last, we were talking with Kim Brown of Burn It Down with Kim Brown, the host of Burn It Down with Kim Brown, and Kim was also talking about um, the notion that we have to build new systems that accommodate what we need rather than continuing with the um, systems that have worked against our interest and also have, have worked to divide us. Um, and, and we also have to accommodate the levels of understanding that black people have across this country about a whole bunch of things. And then there's the other p point, and our number, this is our Common Ground Open Mic Night, our number is 347-838-9852, if you'd like to give us a call to talk about these things. Uh, the, the whole whole notion of, and, you know, run the children out of the room because here I come, Black people need to start talking about our own shit. I was stunned this week when I read an article that was talking about a presentation that the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin, made in a speech where he was talking about um, how... So many minorities in America reject the idea of the gay LBGQT community movement for human rights in this country and and he was suggesting that the world stage well you know is Putin but in other words 
what he was using is our own tendency toward homophobia as a standard for world thought. And as I read, I was saying to myself, where the hell is he getting this shit from? <laughs> so, but if you really look at the internets and the interwebs and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and uh, Instagram and Twitch and a whole bunch of that stuff, you can see, especially in response to Dave Chappelle's new Netflix performance, you can see the kind of homophobic resist pushback that is going on in our own community and what we have attempted to do. And I'll say this, after watching Dave Chappelle's latest performance and his comments about transgendered folks, my sense was, and you may disagree with me, you can call up here and disagree with me, uh, I'm willing to have a conversation, is that he was cloaking his own homophobia in some kind of racialized bullshit. That's where I am on Dave Chappelle. So, but my point is that we've got to start talking about some of our stuff. Black people have got to start dealing with some of our stuff. Uh, whether it be homophobia, whether it be this whole outrageous nonsense about the hyper-feminization of black males, whether it be that black studies is the, is the, uh, is the third coming of Jesus, whether it it, it, it is that uh, our religious affiliation somehow lifts us up or finds us on the bottom. I'm not sure, but we need to be talking about those things. And we have done that over the years um, at, here at Our Common Ground in depth. Um, so I think that... Uh, you know, this whole idea that, oh, we can't make any progress through electoral politics, we can't get uh, independent parties done. We may not be able to do national black independent political movements, but there are certainly local and state states where it can happen, and that's where it should be happening. But I think we have to decide that what democracy we benefit from, those parts of the democracy that we benefit from, in this, as Isabel Wilkerson K. 
categorizes it in her book, Cast, that we have to understand we are in big trouble. And we have to understand the history of this democracy. You know, two centuries ago, democracy was necessitated by forests to be cleared, mines to be worked, fields to be plowed, things to be made. This was the threshold of a, a material age in the evolution of democracy. Some rude adjustments must be expected in politics while the industrial apparatus of the people is rude. Uh, the intricacies we have to consider and we have to put it in our thoughts, the intricacies of democracy, I mean, don't disclose themselves when you first look at it. It's the administration of government in a, in a democracy that tests its strengths. And our democracy is evidently in a very rudimentary Stage. In spite of our suspicions of its defects, like the reformers uh, way back and their reforms, uh, they're no better. We are we are certain of one era, though era. the opinion that our democratic institutions would correct the ills of mankind. That's not what's going to happen. But also of our democratic institutions to correct itself. So we think that democracy is going to lift oppression of mankind. That's not going to happen. And as a result, some of us are sitting in our homes looking at the chaos, looking at the damage, and saying, stay at home and endure our oppression, we have our own troubles. Democracy has for its ultimate that which, how it began. It is a doubtless, productive and has unexpected results, and we are responsible for the correction. Our state, and what I mean by our state, the United States of America is convulsing. It's being subverted. And all of us have some hope about rescuing it. In a democracy, I don't know who I don't know who said this, but it occurred to me when I was making my notes um, this afternoon for this show. In a democracy, I, I have no idea where I where I picked this up, but the, the, here's a thought. It is better to have a government of men 
and women rather than a government of laws. And if we embrace that, I think I heard that in some kind of lecture I went to, I think it was Mike Whelan, who is the the, the president of uh, the Federal Reserve Bank in Boston. But what he was saying is it's better to have a government of men rather than a government of laws. Because the state can convulse, as I as I pointed out, then whatever the form of the state, the great end of all of our government can be rescued. And that's my point about looking at this broken democracy. The great potential of America failing. And and people are saying, well, it, it, it's been a great experiment. No, it is it it is been implemented. Experiments are something you test out. This is no test. We have millions and millions of people poor and working poor who depend on our government to make it right. And the system that we have decided as a nation to make it right is democracy. Let's take a look at another analyst that I enjoy listening to, and she is Brianna Joy Gray. And I liked her analysis this week on our president. Well, first I'd say that the $3.5 trillion package, while filled with lots of good stuff, is not something that I would describe as progressive. The reason that Joe Biden's in hot water right now in terms of his own personal polling is not because he has betrayed the progressive agenda. It's because he's betrayed his own. And right now we're seeing news headlines that demonstrate the fact that Biden's polling is not only shrinking with uh, Democrats and Americans on the whole, but with black Americans in particular, who has over-relied on, the Democratic Party has over-relied on as their base for years and years. And if we look closely at the discrepancy between the promises that he made in the course of his campaign and the uh, legislation that's been passed or the efforts that he has at least fought for, there is a wide gap there and voters have noticed. Remember specifically that voters in Georgia, black voters in Georgia specifically in particular, were leaned on hard to just get these last two senators to give us control of the Senate. If we had control of the Senate, it was possible for Joe Biden, he said, to pass any number of agenda items that were part of his moderate relatively corporate agenda. For example, a $15 minimum wage. There was a push for $2,000 recurring checks. There was a promise to fully fund HBCUs. And now what we're seeing in the context of this Build Back Better plan, uh, sorry, in the context of the reconciliation plan, rather, is that a lot of the agendas that were prioritized by black voters and a lot of vulnerable voters of all races in America right now are the first at the chopping block. And when you compare that and the grievous needs of the population to whatever it is that cinema is demanding, then her demands, I think, seem a lot less credible. Mm-hmm. 
So what, what, what type of uh, programs that are left in the reconciliation package do you think you know, could have an impact, uh, particularly on black voters in Georgia, because, you know, as you know, Raphael Warnock is up for re-election in 2022. So, uh, you know, they, they, Democrats bought themselves a, a majority for two years, but they have, to, they have to fight for it again and also have to fight for it with Mark Kelly in Arizona, Maggie Hassan in, in New Hampshire, obviously different dynamics in all, in all three states. But which, which, which thing that's still on the table do you think could have the most impact? Or is there nothing in that $3.5 trillion package as far as you're concerned that that moves the needle look i took a look at a third way poll from 2019 <laughs> that assessed look equal equal opportunity poll reader here right. uh, that assessed what what black voter priorities were and third way noted that making housing more affordable six was at the top of the list 68 percent of black people said it would personally benefit them a great deal Lowering the cost of health care, 67%. We've seen that as something that has been, you know, teetering on the edge of the chopping, uh, chopping block. Joe Biden uh, fighting over whether or not he can actually uh, negotiate prescription drug prices. Um, improving air and water quality. There's been a great deal of critique about the failure of Build Back Better to go far enough to meet the needs of the climate crisis. Even creating a Medicare for All system has 62% of black people saying this would greatly benefit us fighting income equality. There's no wealth tax to be seen. We're not even hoping and praying for things like that. Making college more affordable is a big one. And this recent little fracas over HBCU funding really demonstrates the extent to which black people are very frustrated about the promise to full, uh, fund, fully fund HBCUs falling through. And moreover, to make all HBCUs, historically black college and universities, and minority-serving institutions, tuition-free. We haven't heard Hyde nor care about that since Joe Biden has been in office and voters have noticed. And now back to Our Common Ground. Yep, voters have noticed, Brianna Gray, uh, Joy Gray, they have noticed and I have been asking the question all over the internet this week. Whether or not Joe Biden and the core Democratic Party, aside from the Progressive Caucus, uh, aside from key people in the Black Caucus, uh, I'm really um, committed to the Biden administration political agenda or whether Joe Biden is committed. When we come back from this break, uh, we're going to listen to where Joe, Joe Biden has indicated he is right about now and looking at, you know, truth be told, it's not just Manchin and Cinema who are Democrats or registered Democrats in the Congress who oppose the 60-vote threshold. We, we need to talk about that, but we'll do it on the other side. And this is a warning. We may be ending this program uh, early tonight. Uh, I'm feeling it in my throat. I'm sorry. Our number is 347-838-9852. Write it down. 
Well, I mean, we know through American history that uh, what has often been the response to advancement uh, on the part of people who have been assigned to, I mean, using the language of caste, to the subordinate caste in our country's history from the time of enslavement, that whenever there is a rise of people in that group, whenever there is an assertion of citizenship rights from that group, whenever there's progress made uh, by the group that have been assigned to being at the very bottom of our society from the very beginning, that there is a response, there is a, a, an effort to reassert uh, the birthright of dominance that, you know, that many, many people in our country still have a tremendous investment in. And so I think that's what we've seen in the past. And we saw again on January 6th, where we saw people who were willing to climb the walls of the citadel of democracy of our United States Capitol in order to assert and to defend uh, their perceived birthright to dominance uh, in our country historically. And, you know, we are, this will take an effort on everyone's part in order to find a way to transcend and push past this impulse to maintain a hierarchy such as ours in this country. So high, you can't get over it. We gon' break it. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with more. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals. The United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. I want to know why I'm fine one minute and the next. My body aches so bad I can't move. I want to know why my hair is falling out. I'm only 17. I'm tired all the time. Now, this rash. I just want to know what's going on. When you don't have the right answers, it may be time to ask your doctor the right question. Could I have lupus? For answers, for support, for hope, visit couldihavelupus.gov or call 1-800-994-9662. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office on Women's Health and the Ad Council. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Janice Graham. Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time.
Shut your mouth. Be a good girl. All over and spread your... It happens with the eroding of the right to protest in freedom and with uneven distribution of consequences from law enforcement. It happens when people we think are on our side when it comes to social justice simply don't show up. Or worse, shame us for taking action. It happens when we all look at each other and say, this can't last, right? Hoping that it will go away on its own. Meantime, the fascists bill militias. When fascism starts to feel normal, we're all in trouble. All the denial, either from fear or uncertainty, is not helpful. We are seeing the execution in America, not the plan. If America fails, the coming tyranny. A 12-week discussion series exploring the possibility, the potential, the now, fascism in America. TruthWorks Network is the examination of a fictional dystopia from the lenses and experiences of black people in America. It's The Handmaid's Tale, premiering January 14th, each Thursday, 8 p.m. TruthWorks Network. Can America Can fail? America. Are you sure? How do you wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health? It showed up in my life through one of my best friends. And we've been friends for over 30 years. One story at a time. If we would have known earlier, you know, we would have been more, much more supportive with her. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it. I felt it coming off. The healing is in me, and the healing in the journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and A situation in which, uh, you know, voter suppression has been essentially built into our country. You know, so many things that we take for granted in our country that black history is truly American history. And one of the examples of that is that, I mean, how many of us know that the Justice Department itself was founded specifically to protect and to uh, defend uh, the uh, voting rights and the citizenship rights of newly freed African Americans right after the Civil War. I mean, it's stunning to realize how, how enduring and how significant this effort of having true and full democracy has been an ongoing challenge for us as a country. And so here we are, we're seeing continuing through line of voter suppression um, in the current era. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. 
Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground. And now back to Janice. We thank you for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. I am Janice Graham, and our number is 347-838-9852. If you would like to share your thoughts, ask me a question, raise an issue about our broken democracy. And one of the things that has happened this week, I mean, did you all check Condoleezza Rice this week? Y'all know Condi is is not my girl. <laughs> Condoleezza Rice went on The View this week and told all of America what good Negroes ought to be doing. And they are being taught their history. And we should not scare off good white people trying to make them feel bad because of their history. What the hell? Anyway, (laughs) I don't know if any of you, I'm sure there are plenty of clips on the Internet uh, available for you to hear that that appearance of Condoleezza Rice. I mean, what is wrong with that girl? You know, what I think it is the special, you know, the thing that I talk about all the time, the special Negro syndrome, where she grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Her friends, kids that she went to school with, her playmates were blown up in a building, in a church in Birmingham, Alabama, And this girl still doesn't understand what the real deal is on race. But but here's my theory about it. And and, and it also goes to Clarence Thomas and Candace Owens and all the rest of them um, that they, they grew up in a time where black people were telling all their children, You've got to be the best. You've got to represent and make sure these white people know that we're just as good as they are. And you are not like those black people down the street. You're not like them. You are special. You are different. Uh, I call that the... um, Special Negro Syndrome. You know, and I really, really think that so many of us suffer from it. I digress. Just a little bit of uh, gossip going on. I don't watch The View. I don't watch things like that. I don't watch the award ceremony because I don't think anybody in this country ought to be getting an award for shit. I mean, you've heard me say that before. I think that 
there are two there is i mean black people black people are still getting the hell beat out of them by police and there is no accountability for it black people are getting killed in the street no accountability under the law the wrong kind of investigations or no investigations are happening on behalf of a uh uh freedoms lost and freedom violations of black people in this country and nobody should be getting an award. Our children are being ushered through an educational system that is in their disinterest and nobody should be getting an award. So if anybody out there, if you all are, are really up for the 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 rhythm of liberation and you got an award recently just take it back i mean i i have had a number of occasions where an organization or some group wants to give me or some organization wants to give me an award i have refused awards and recognitions so many times that some of them I don't even recall. When they call, I say, wait a minute. Yeah, I did that. But that is an individual achievement, and I really can't connect it to the collective good. And they try to convince me because they want to tell the people, oh, well, you know, the um, black woman executive from Wang Laboratory, she's going to be at our dinner and she's going to get in the way. Oh, hell no. You ain't using me in that way. Sorry, folks. So <clears throat> here is here is where we are. Um, and in, even in our in the President Biden's own words, we can see the failure, we can see the divisiveness. And do not buy into this is just about Kristen Cinema and Kristen Cinema and uh Joe Manchin. This is about a party who used our vote, asked for our vote. And in many ways, understood they weren't going to deliver. And I'm still hoping. I think we can be a people of a people of hope. But you know, I'm not putting my 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 grandchildren up on, for auction based on that hope. I'm not. So here's what Joe Biden had to say this week at a town hall at CNN with Anderson Cooper. The White House already walking back some of President Biden's more off-script moments from his town hall, where he worked to unify Democrats around his still-struggling agenda and address the economic headwinds the country's facing, including the pandemic-related supply chain crisis delaying goods ahead of the holidays. The president saying he'd consider deploying the National Guard to help. Supply yes, chain issue? absolutely, positively. I would do that. 
But are, you're actually talking about having National Guardsmen or women driving is, trucks? The answer is yes, if we can't move to increase the number of truckers, which we're in a process of doing. The White House now saying using the National Guard is up to governors, and they're not actively pursuing it. The president also giving the most extensive details yet about what's in and what's out of his economic plan. At the top of that list, one of Mr. Biden's proposals to increase the corporate tax rate now looks unlikely because of pressure from moderate Senator Kirsten Sinema, who opposes it. She says she will not raise a single penny in taxes on the corporate side and or on wealthy people, period. And so that's where it sort of breaks down. And while the president insisted his plan that initially cost $3.5 trillion but is now closer to $2 trillion will be paid for, he gave no details about how he'll achieve that. The president revealing he's likely scaling back his plan for paid parental leave and tuition-free community college. But perhaps one of the biggest headlines came when the president was pressed on whether he would support lawmakers getting rid of the filibuster, a stalling tactic used to delay or prevent voting on a bill. Losing it would allow legislation to pass more easily in the Senate, where Democrats currently hold a razor-thin majority. On Wednesday, Republicans used the filibuster to block a voting reform bill. You would entertain the notion of doing away with the filibuster on that one issue. Is that correct? And maybe more. That's one that we will be watching closely. Now, the White House also had to clean up some of the president's comments on foreign policy. Mr. Biden said the U.S. would defend Taiwan if it was attacked by China at that town hall. The White House walked that back because those differed from the longstanding policy that the U.S. does not say how it would react if China were to attack Taiwan. The White House saying overnight there is no change in that policy. It's a sign of the sensitive relationship the U.S. has with China. And now back to Our Common Ground. So, you see, um, it's a couple of weeks ago we did uh, an episode looking at compromise and capitulation. And I think that both of those things have happened on a, a number of planes, dimensions, in all of this with the Biden Harris administration. I think on one hand, you have Joe Biden, who believes he's still living in 1988, and he can play the by uh, he can play from his operate from a playbook of bipartisanship. And and we all know that's bipartisanship is about the old boys club. Then on the other plane, I think that he is making a play to avoid dealing with uh, this 60-vote threshold in the Senate. And quite frankly, I think this administration is scared to death of the the the, the uh, terrorists against the. Uh, uh, democracy. I think they are. We're going to take a call and then we're going to move on. 646, you're on the air. Janice, how are you? Hey, Jake. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Hey, Missy. 
democracy in this country is over. I mean, it, it, it's a wrap. Um, it's time for black folks to figure out what they're going to do to survive. I mean, it's it's just that plain and simple. Um, Mansion is supposed to be, in all truthfulness, crushed, but they won't trust him. The best thing I heard all week was from someone said that what needs to happen is to get back at Mansion, they should nationalize the EpiPen, which has made his daughter and him extremely, extremely rich. Now, people may listen to that and not take it seriously, but believe me, with the cost involved, if they were to do that, oh, he would straighten his act up very, very quickly. And there would be some sort of changes, but you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna make those type of um power plays because in all truthfulness and it's sorry to say it, but we as a people, black folks don't realize it. They just protecting their position and whiteness. That's all it's it's just that plain and simple. It's it's nothing more why do you less. make the statement? Let me let me ask you a question, Jay. Why do you make the statement that black folks don't know that? Um, because they don't. Because you can listen to people like Latasha Brown and the rest of them, always under the assumption that these white folks gonna do the right thing. It's just not gonna happen. I mean, you know, you're at a critical point right now in order for you to be in a position just to have any type of semblance of a fair election next year. And you can't wait too much longer because, remember, they're starting to redistrict all of these um, places. They're they're about to do their gerrymandering game on the highest level in certain places. I mean, you see what they're, they're doing in Texas. You see what they're doing in Atlanta, North Carolina, and all of these other places. And the only way that you could basically stop it or put somewhat of a halt to it is you got to pass that John Lewis bill. And um, in order to get that passed, you got to have the filibuster. And they're not going to do the filibuster. No, I think think they're not going to do anything to deal with with the filibuster. Buster, because they want to stay in the position of boogeymanism. That oh, if the if the Republicans get control, they're gonna do this and they're gonna do that. But the reality is, the way it's set up, they're gonna get in control anyway. And these Democratic politicians are gonna stay in their position, ninety percent of them, and the Democrats are just gonna make it to where as you know, Democrats will, will, won't get back into power for, let's say, the next 20 years or be in a position to make the necessary changes to continue, a.k.a. democracy. And, and, and that's oh, just something here, here's another, that you here's don't a, want to Well, you know, everyone is focusing on Joe Manchin and and cinema and i think that on yesterday the president 
has given us kind of like a clue that he might be open for some kind of formula about altering uh, the filibuster uh, rule. But here, here's another problem, Jade, and, and nobody's talking about it enough. You've got a totally biased, corporate-led and funded Supreme Court. There is another issue that nobody is talking about it enough. There's not enough pressure. There's not enough noise, political noise, in the White House around Merrick Garland. He is a major problem because oh, no some of the things that are happening in regard to gerrymandering, there are laws about gerrymandering, and some of the things that are happening in 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 redrawing the districts in these red states especially being led by a corru- corrupt state legislatures in the same way that they're doing voter suppression and uh violations of the voter rights act Merrick Garland should have an army of people who are passing out lawsuits in these states, the federal government suing these people, stopping them, blocking them like it's Skittles. And he is not. Yeah. Well, because that's not that's not his agenda. That's not that's not of in, well, importance to because you don't have to argue. You can Jay. Jay, it's okay. You can agree. Who? Who? With with Garland? You. I don't with agree. With me. I don't agree with Garland. Oh, I agree with you. I, yeah, wait, I, wait, I'm wait. Just, you hey, can agree with sick. me. You don't have to well, argue with, with me. No, okay, not say an that. Argument. Say I'm it, Jay. Just, say I'm it, Jay. Say it again. I agree with you. Say it again, Jay. Say no, it again. I'm saying I agree with you, but all I'm also saying is, that's not his interest. You know, I always like to... But, but but my point is that they think that we are not paying attention. So he's getting away by sitting back. His performance on Thursday... Listen, I've worked for the Department of Justice, the Civil Rights uh, Division, <clears throat> for many years. He is not. What he did on Thursday was disgraceful. His performance was just disgraceful before the okay. House Oversight Committee. <coughs> I'm sorry, Judiciary well, I, Committee. I look at it like this. I like to, to, to watch and listen to whatever my man Eddie McDowell says. And, I mean, the bottom line is I always get a kick out of when he get upset regardless. But then again, I realize he knows that Garland is not going to do anything. The bottom line is these people are trying to protect their power and their position. And, you know, I can't get mad at them. That's why I always say that the most important thing is the young generation and those who have the skill set of 
your grandkids, they got to make that money and look out for one another because the middle class is gone in this country. I mean, I'm thinking about leaving this country. I'm thinking about selling everything and leaving. I don't want to go to Africa. So I'm looking at Panama. I think I'm going to go to Panama. I'm going to take a little visit there. When you going, Jay? When you leaving? I think I'm going to take a visit. I think I'm going to take a visit around January or February for a week or two. Uh-huh. You know, and and, and and what I want to do is, I think I want to build a container home in in Panama because I just became fixated with container homes. And um, yeah, I, me too, Jay. You know, I've been, I I've move been w- out. watching the YouTube. I've been watching the YouTube's on the container homes. Hey, listen, I watch your. I put it to you like this: when I got time, I watch container homes. And Japanese math. That's all. That's all I do. That's that's my entertainment now. Container homes and Japanese math. I done got addicted to Japanese math. Greatest math system in the world. But no, I'm just saying, Janice. You know, people like yourself. I feel bad for y'all, man, because all of the work that you put in, and all that you've done. To see it fifty some years later go to waste, man, it's heartbreaking. And sadly, most people don't understand all that you've done. You know, I look at, I read um, what you call them tweets by Ruby Sales, and it breaks my heart to watch that yeah. woman yeah. tweet the things that she say, just based on her experience and all that she's been through. And unfortunately, <laughs> like I said earlier. Most of our people do not realize the danger that we are in in this country and the manner in which we're being manipulated. And, you know, when the rug rug gets swept under us in the next year or so, I don't know what we're going to do because everybody's going to go back into a psychological panic like they did with the crazy man Trump. But, you know, the bottom line is I saw Tish James last week, and I didn't get a chance to say to her what I wanted to say to her because there was too many people around, and, you know, I got to be respectful to a, to a black woman. You know what I mean? When I'm in, the, when I'm in the, you know, a certain mode. So I really didn't say anything. But I would like to just ask her one question. And my one question to her would be, what the F taking you so long to indict this savage? That's the only yeah, question yeah. I want to ask her. Something happened. Because she knows she I, I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you something happened with her. Right around the time that they were calling for uh, Andrew Cuomo to resign. Yeah. Something yeah. happened. I'm not saying well, what happened, got rid of him, but something happened. And he probably told her. And probably what happened is she got rid of him, and he told her, "I'm gonna get you." That's what he told her. He probably, and she knows he go get her. So the mm-hmm. thing is, she tried to protect herself as best as possible. But, but but let me leave you with this, Janet. I don't understand why she gotta protect herself and not do the right thing for her people. When the bottom line is, she's never gonna become the governor. She's never going to become the lieutenant governor. New York City is about to go to hell with Adams, 
and she got a pension. So my my yeah. feeling yeah. is whenever you got a pension, you ain't never supposed to let nobody punk you because in New York State they can't take your pension unless you do something crazy. And she ain't gonna do nothing crazy. But politically nope. she she can't get another she can't get another office other than what she has because Cuomo yeah. Cuomo and Marcus on her. But that shouldn't yeah. stop her from saving the world from from this yeah. animal yeah. maybe getting you. back in you. the office with the way he's destroying the country with his with his madness. But I mean, yeah. you know, nobody's saying anything. And, you know, yeah. like I said, Dennis, prepare, like I said, prepare your grandson, M1, to be in the position to take care of himself, the family, and M2 because of um, age. It's, it's, it's well, going to get better. Um, um, you know, it, it, it is very, and thank you for acknowledging because this has been very heartbreaking for me, even oh, with, this, with this with this program. After 35 years, um, some things are are going on that uh, kind of you know. But what, what do I always say? Uh, 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 you've been with me long enough, Jada, to know that we are a resilient people. And we know how to we we know how to make the move when it's time to make the move into survival mode. Um, but, yeah, but I appreciate but thing, I appreciate though, your comments. One one thing, Janice. I gotta go, like Jay. Are not built no uh-huh. more like that. But have a good yeah, one. good talk yeah. to you. Get the family my that, That's that's true. And one of the things I want you to start looking at is young black people and Afro. Pessimism. It's troubling. It's troubling. Thanks, Jay, and uh, you be careful out there in your. Let me know. Let me know. Keep me informed about how you're doing with your container home, uh, because you know when I got ready to retire, if I didn't, if I weren't a cancer survivor, I would be living in Havana right now. Um, and I had to look at some some other stuff, you know. Um, so I, I hear you. It, it's heartbreaking, and um, I, I think I don't think I have ever been as mad at a TV as I was listening to the January sixth committee hearing on Wednesday or whenever it was. I was just. I was just sickened by what I was listening to. Thanks, Jane. And stay with us because um, it's just right on Jay's point that we go out tonight. Because I want to remind people, this week was 30 years ago that black people, the U.S. Senate, the President of the United States, we all watched while a black woman was vilified for standing up for her country. 
And that woman was Professor Anita Hill. And she is no more or less than Rosa Parks, Fannie Lou Hamer, Adabi Wells, and many other black women who wanted to save the republic. And she did make the sacrifice. I was sitting in the room as a room full of white men attacked her viciously and she was able to hold on. But in the face of that attack, she became the last woman standing. But nobody came to her rescue, to her rescue. White women came to their rescue kind of woman, and I want to honor her tonight. We will see you next week at Our Common Ground, 10 p.m. Thank you for joining us. The White House already walking back some of... Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I am very pleased to announce that I will nominate Judge Clarence Thomas to serve as Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. In 1991, the Senate Judiciary Committee met to consider the Supreme Court nomination of Judge Clarence Thomas. As they wrapped up their confirmation hearings... The committee got word about a former employee of Thomas who had privately accused him of sexually harassing her years before. Initially, the all-male committee refused to hear from the woman, whose name was Anita Hill. This is a hearing for a Supreme Court justice. It's going to be there for life. And you would think that if someone who worked with them had important things to say, they would want to hear it, wouldn't you? A group of congresswomen, including Pat Schroeder and Eleanor Holmes Norton, refused to accept the committee's decision. We decided that some of us had better get over to the Senate or this was going to be a done deal. I do not believe that Professor Anita Hill should be left to stand alone without uh, being heard. We marched to the Senate, knocked on the door, and they said, we don't let strangers in here which all of us, our hair almost stood on end. We said, uh, we are not strangers, we are colleagues from the other side of the hill. Thank you very much. And furthermore, the entire media corps is out here and you want us to go tell them what happened. Under growing pressure, the Judiciary Committee conceded. Hearings were reopened and Anita Hill was called to testify. Can you tell the committee what was the most embarrassing of all the incidences that you have alleged? I think the one that was the most embarrassing was this discussion of, of pornography involving women with large breasts and, and ha engaged in variety of sex with different people or, or animals. 
that was the thing that embarrassed me the most and made me feel the most humiliated. Thomas vigorously denied the allegations. This is a circus. It's a national disgrace. And from my standpoint, as a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves. I did not expect what Anita Hill had to say. And if I was stunned by what she had to say, I was even more stunned by the reaction of the Senate. All we've heard for 103 days is about a, a most remarkable man, and nobody but you has come forward. Their treatment so, of Anita Hill felt as though she were once again being sexually harassed, and this time in front of the whole country. There is nothing in my background, nothing in my statement, there is no motivation that would show that I would make up something like this. And I guess one really does have to understand something about the nature of sexual harassment. Broadcast live over three days, the hearings riveted and divided the nation. Y'all watching? Mary Jo, we have a big rehearsal tonight, and if we stay mad about Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill, we'll never remember our lines. Initially, the senator's obvious sympathy for Thomas seemed to sway a majority of Americans. Oh, please. I, Clarence Thomas, do something. The committee went ahead and confirmed Clarence Thomas. But that national conversation that erupted had political implications. Gloria, did we as women lose anything because of Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill? Yeah, we lost a lot, like faith in the Senate, for instance, okay? Uh, but I think we gained slightly more than we lost because the education on sexual harassment was enormous, and now the complaints are up 500% in the states. The Anita Hill case made sexual harassment a household phrase. At the time, I was in college. So my household was 14 African-American women. Here we were, empowered young women, off at college, and the notion that we might go into a workforce that would treat us in this way was truly eye-opening. Millions of women found themselves saying, sitting down the men that they know and love and saying, this really happens. Let me tell you about it. One year after the hearings, as more women came forward to corroborate Thomas's behavior, polls showed that a majority of Americans believed Anita Hill. I was trying to do my duty as an ordinary American citizen, and I simply told the Senate investigators the truth. There's no question Anita Hill inspired others to come forward, but Anita Hill did something even larger for women. Immediately after those hearings, in the next election cycle, it was the year of the woman, and it was the year in which a record number of women um, were elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. A record 24 women were elected to the House. Five new female senators more than doubled their number in the Senate. These victories in the wake of the Anita Hill hearings gave the women's movement a new jolt of energy.
This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Always. And I never thought I'd be this way. And as far as I'm concerned, glad I got the chance to say that I do believe I love y'all. And if I should ever go away, well then close your eyes and try to feel the way we do today. And then if you can remember. Both of you keep smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always count on me, for sure, that's what friends are for, in good times and bad times, I'll be And so by the way, I thank you for then, then for the time when we're apart. Well, then close your eyes and know these words are coming from my little heart. And then if you can remember, keep smiling, smiling, keep shining, knowing you. This is in some ways um, a new kind of reconstruction that we're facing in this country. I mean, 
the first reconstruction, um, which uh, allowed uh, the enslaved people to take positions and to begin to, uh, to get education, the things that had been denied them during enslavement, um, meant that they were at the forefront of attempting to make this a true, full uh, democracy. And then, of course, the second Reconstruction was in the 1960s when, again, African Americans were at the forefront of, of insisting that this country live up to its creed. And here we are in uh, the, a new century, uh, 2021, in which uh, Georgia, a state that had been, you know, the vanguard of, you know, of Jim Crow apartheid, is now um, at the center of, of the effort toward a new reconstruction that hopefully we will learn from the past and be able to, to actually reach the democracy and the full participation that, uh, and, and also the full sense of justice and accountability for all that has gone before us. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. We're so grateful to be able to spend our Saturday evenings with you. We wish you well, great health, safety, and a liberation spirit. I'm Janice Graham, here at Our Common Ground, the Black Truth Sanctuary, each Saturday, 10 p.m. I'll be listening for you.